Okay, this is from Second Thessalonians 1, 1 through 12. And this is from the New King James Version. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We are bound, <clears throat> bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is fitting, because your faith grows exceedingly, and the love of every one of you all abounds towards each other, so that we ourselves boast of you among the churches of God for your patience and your faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that you endure which is manifest evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God, for which you also suffer. Since it is a righteous thing with God to repay with tribulation those who trouble you, and to give you who are troubled rest with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. When he comes, and in that day, to be glorified in his saints and to be admired among all those who believe, because our testimony among you was believed. Therefore, we also pray always for you that our God would count you worthy of this calling and fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness and the work of faith with power, that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, I appreciate all your prayers while we were on vacation for two weeks. I think this is my first time back since then. But Dale and I had a great time, and we just thank you for thinking of us while we were gone. At least we were hoping you were thinking of us. <laughs> Some said, yeah, we're glad he's gone. Maybe that's... No, uh, we had a great time. We, we drove uh, pretty much kind of straight to Maine because Mandy flew out and we picked her up at the airport out there and we spent a couple days in Maine eating lobster mainly. That's a pun. Uh, yeah, I know. <laughs> we saw a car lot over there. It said mainly used cars. It was funny. But we, we ate lobster on Thursday when we got there and we ate lobster on Friday when we got there and we ate lobster on Saturday because we were still there. And on Sunday, you'll never guess what we had. No, we had a donut. We went, we went and got donuts and hot dogs. <laughs> we had lobster a little later. And when we drove back, we went pretty much straight west over the mountains through the White Mountain Range and snow caps up there. I didn't even know there was snow caps on the East Coast, but man, was it pretty. And we didn't, we didn't hit a two-lane road, or a four-lane road, I should say. We were on two lanes. Pretty much all the way to Toledo. We, uh, we just kind of wandered through the hills and the back roads and we hit that one big lake, Ontario. 
And we rode along there and we'd come out of these waterfalls that's somewhere over there near Buffalo. And then we went around that whole mess and then uh, kind of got over along this other Lake Erie and we followed that all the way to Toledo. And we finally got on an expressway after that because it was getting to be late on Sunday afternoon. We thought we probably ought to start heading for home. We had a great time. One thing I did do, I think we did, is we went to Concord, Massachusetts. How many of you have ever been there to walk across the bridge? You know what bridge I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah. It's where the first enemy soldier combatants passed away and where some of the militia were killed. There's monuments on either side. Of course, the bridge has probably been rebuilt since then. But being an old veteran myself, I walked across that bridge. I got about halfway across. I started crying. It was holy ground. It was just the weirdest thing I've ever been through. Dale says, what's wrong with you? <laughs> but it, it was really it was really a good thing. If you ever get a chance to go to Concord and just stand there and pray for the nation, that's a cool spot. Cool cool spot to go. And uh, Well, no charge. It was free. So We had a good time. When I got out of the military, it was in 19... 19- 72, I spent most of the summer growing weed and selling weed and smoking weed and dropping speed and getting drunk and whatever else guitar pickers do in those days. And, you know, the Vietnam War and all that wasn't real. But anyway, then I took off hitchhiking on my birthday, October 3rd in 1972. Better by far than the next man's car, you know, take a ride. Me and another non-vet and a, another hippie friend of mine, we ended up in Fort Pierce, Florida, where Dale's uncle was a preacher, and that's where I got saved down there in his church. But prior to meeting him, Rocky and I had rented this house. Some of you have heard this story before, but rented this house across the street from where her uncle preached. You'll never guess what was in there on a little space heater in that. Gideon Bible. And I started reading Gideon Bible. I finally... I opened up a fresh can of beer, lit up a cigarette, and I said, ah, I'm going to read the Bible. Right? <laughs> Went to it. Been reading the Bible ever since. Let's not talk about the smoking and drinking, okay? No, anyway, the guy, one of the hippie friends of mine says, you can't read the Bible and drink beer at the same time. I said, why not? Well, you just don't do that. So I said, all right, I put the beer in the refrigerator. I figured I'd finish it later. And uh, I started reading. You know, the funny part about that is I never finished that beer. And it was just on the way, on I went through life. But not saying I haven't had a touch of alcohol since then for various reasons. Medicinal, I'll guarantee you. But anyway, that particular beer was never touched again. So long about that same time in 72, there were all kinds of one-hit wonders. You know, uh, the Jesus Revolution movie that was out. There were these hippies everywhere singing about Jesus and doing all kinds of weird stuff. And uh, Darcy and I sang one a couple weeks ago, the Psalm 137 by the rivers of Babylon. You probably remember the birds, turn, 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 Ecclesiastes 3 is what. I was shocked reading the Bible. I said, wow, man, I was smoking dope to this verse. You know, back in hippie days, literally. And then uh, the one I just played tonight is another one of those songs. It was popular in 1970-71. Hit number two on the charts. A guy by the name of Gene McLellan wrote the song. And the first person to ever sing it on the radio was a Canadian singer. Well, he was Canadian too, but her name was Ann, Ann Murray. 
if she sang it. And then this group Ocean picked it up. It became their one-hit wonder. And they sang. It was on the radio for years, you know. Put your hand in the hand of the man. I've been praying since I was seven because Mama taught me. And there might be, maybe he'll open, make a little room in heaven for me. What kind of theology is that? Anybody know? <laughs> Leftover hippie theology is what it is. But it's a great tune. Now, Billy Graham wrote him a letter and said to the ocean, says, man, that's a really good song. So I'm beginning to question Billy's theology now. But he's with the Lord, so it's probably not of great concern. But it was a good song. Well, McClellan, he, uh, he got a little crazy late in life and ended up in an institution. Massive depression and all kinds of things. And you wonder, it's like, okay, you write this really good song about having your hand in the Lord's hand. There's got to be some kind of an element of faith there. I mean, even just to write that kind of music, you know. And uh, they finally let him out, and it was shortly after that that he took his own life. And it's really sad, isn't it? When you hear a song like that written by someone, and then 24 years later, the hardships of life, and not enough hope, what, not enough love, not enough, what's missing? Uh, was that just strictly a works-based religion that he was hanging on to? You know, I've been doing the prayers and doing the good stuff. And, and it's just, it's really a sad conclusion to get to that point where there's just no hope. And But the song lives on. The song was number two on the charts. Would have been number one. It was on number two for over ten weeks. The only, the only reason it wasn't number one, cause a preacher's kid, who was in the band Three Dog Night, remember that one? It was so cold, he needed three dingoes in the hole to keep warm, that group. Three Dog Night, they, they had this song called, uh, Joy to the World. That's like a Bible verse, isn't it, or something? The angels in heaven and everything and all that. And uh, they, they referenced Jeremiah. But I guarantee you, he was not a bullfrog. In the Bible, I'm just saying. So, they finally hit 33 overall, I guess, on the chart. So, good song. But in real life, I think every one of us need to consider the man from Galilee. There is a point when everyone receives the calling. Now, our verse today, and Gloria finally got a chance to read it without all of us stumbling around up here, was, it says, Worthy of the calling. Worthy of the calling. Because we're all being called in a sense, like Peter when he was watching the waves in the sea and started to sink and Jesus grabbed him. Put your hand in the hand. There's a point where we need to recognize we need Christ. And if it's a reach of faith, then, you know, heaven help us to make that, to take that extension of our own arms and grab on to Christ and hang on. Oh, so I got to hang on, do I? Is it a workspace religion? Is that it? You got to keep on keeping on in order to keep on? We had that little conversation Wednesday night between faith and works. And you get your good works, you got your faith, which is, I mean, how does all that work? Are you supposed to keep on doing good so you don't lose your salvation? Or is that how you got your salvation in the first place? Works, works, works. 
This passage we're getting into in Thessalonians talks about the good pleasure of God's goodness and the power of faith. The work of faith with power. The work of faith. Oh man, that's confusing. In another spot it said they didn't obey the gospel. That sounds like works, doesn't it? And it's just... And so we we had that discussion Wednesday night a little bit, kind of working through it. And I've been thinking about Thessalonians since Phil wrote me a note while I was gone and asked me some questions about it or something. I forget how it went, but I thought, good passage. Three chapters. We need three of them before now and Christmas starts. So it's working out. Spirit led, saying. But faith, the work of faith with power. Well, let's look into some of that. The uh, first verse starts with uh, Paul, Sylvanus, which is really Silas, and uh, Timothy. And that all takes place in the book of Acts, chapters 16, 17, and 18, in and around there. And Paul was in Corinth when he wrote to the Thessalonians. He kind of got in trouble in Thessalonica. He went down to Berea, stayed there for a little while. He was only in Thessalonica for three weeks. He went down and got Athens and gave a little speech on Mars Hill and went over to uh, Corinth. But he left Silas and Timothy up north to continue to work with the people because I mean, Paul had to go because the Jews were out to kill him and so they stayed there and undercover, whatever, they sort of did the, the preaching, teaching thing up there and eventually caught up with, with Paul in Acts 18. So and that was the occasion for the letter, but he wrote the letter to the church. Ecclesia. Do you all know what that is? We have the church. Put the next slide up, Bryce. I think it, it, it did. Yeah. A gathering of citizens called out from their homes into a some public place and assembly. An assembly of the people convened at a public place, council, the purpose of deliberating. Thayer's Greek lexicon. What does that mean? Well, if you believe the word church as ecclesia, a public place, um, do you think we should stay home or go to church? Do you think the Bible really teaches home church or public church? Home assembly or public assembly? I didn't write the Greek word, but that's the Greek word. Now, we had church in our house for a while. And there are times in some places where home churches are a thing. I mean, it's, I don't think we have that pressure here in America. But here's church, a group of people who are gathering in a place. Does that sound familiar? A gathering place? That's all our name means is church. That's all it means. This is a church, church place. It's where we gather. So back to verse one, where is the church located? Based on the verse. Try to keep it in context. What do you think? Thessalonica. Thessalonica. 
Any other locations? In God. In God. We have two locations. So the local church, that little place called Thessalonica, has an assembly, a body of Christians meeting publicly in that town. But they're not only meeting publicly in that town, they're also gathered in that moment where? In God somewhere. That's what always amazes me when people say, Lord, we invite you into our church. It's like, really? <laughs> Thinking you need to read this a little closer. Because <laughs> we're already in Him. I don't think we can get much closer, can we? Do you believe that? That's a faith thing because we can't see it. But there it is. That's what it says. That we have this position, this location, this local church of Freeport is also in God at the same time. Which is part of the universal body of Christ. The real, every Christian everywhere in the universe that makes up the body of Christ, we are all gathered together in Him at the same time, all the time, as believers. His church, His body, one faith, one body, one Christ, you know, there it is. So, so Here's another funny little word I just want to clear up real quick. In. It's a little preposition that denotes a fixed position in place, time, or state. You are in the spot. By implication, instrumentally, you're there for a purpose. Medially, that is, you're sort of in the middle. And constructively, that is, you have value for being there in the middle, in this place, at the time you're there. Isn't that a crazy word? We're only halfway through it yet. And you just thought it was a two-letter English word. You're in. And it goes on. That is a relation of rest. We, we sang about that. You know, Christ is our rest. We have this place in God, in it's all of this, a position, a place. But then it goes on, look at, often used in compounds, in other words, bringing two things together with substantially the same import. It's very important. Both parties are important and they're brought together in a place at a time for rest. Rarely used with verbs of motion. Works. <laughs> The ing words are not in play here. Okay. So the church is put in God at rest, has value, purpose, meaning, all of this in Christ. We have this in God. Each of us as an individual and a group of local body church in God. Sometimes it's used with motion words, but it doesn't give you any real direction. It's, it's a lot to think about. For the most part, somehow, without any effort on our own part, we have been placed in a local church in God. And here we rest. What can you do to maintain that spot in? Anything? You'll pray a little harder? Well, you should. 
but will it improve the condition that we've just described? How can you add to the position that God has given us in Christ, in the church, in himself? I'm the good shepherd. I lay down my life for the sheep. They shall not perish. They are in my hand. My hand is in God's hand. In, 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 in. And that word shows up all the time through the Bible. There's a couple other ones translated in too, but this one's the most common. In. That feel like a pretty good sermon already? Maybe we should close in prayer, you know? Yeah, it's, it's good stuff to realize that you're in. How? Do you believe that Christ is your Savior? Well, if we believe that Christ is our Savior, if we have enough faith to say, Lord Jesus, save me. You're the only hope I have for all eternity. We enter into his life, the resurrected life we just sang about. We enter into that, into Christ, in the church, in God, in faith, in grace, in mercy. I mean, it just goes on and on and on. Think you can slip out of there? You know why I think you can't? Ephesians 1.13. That after you heard it and believed it, you were sealed up inside there. By what? Holy Spirit of what? Promise. Who made the promise? God who cannot lie. How are you going to get out of there? What are you going to do to change your position? And that's the thing. It's like if we just get to the place where we understand what took place when we said, Lord, save us. If we just could get that into our heads, how strong the Savior is to save us. How are you going to get out of there? Why would you want to? I'm not saying that we don't mess up, commit sin, have all kinds of problems. I mean, I get that. But our faith in the risen Savior is what saves us. And He will get it done. In. So let's see if we can finish verse 1, or did we? Maybe we did. So what's the benefit? Back to verse 2. Grace and peace. Grace and peace. Now grace is the kind of thing that is a super benevolence that's poured out by someone who has the ability to be benevolent. And in the word, there's this little idea of giving thanks. If somebody gives you a gift, what do you say? Thank you. Thank you. If you don't say thank you, if you don't receive it, you probably will never have it. I mean, it's a matter of thank you, Lord. I believe you're my only hope, my only savior. And if we get the grace and we understand our standing in Christ, in church, in God, then uh, what should we have with that grace package thing? It's in the verse. Peace. Peace. So let me ask you this. Are you going to heaven? When you die, are you going to heaven? If you have any doubts about it, if you don't have the peace about it, it's because we don't understand the grace. We don't understand the Savior. We don't understand the end. 
We don't understand the church. We don't understand the gospel. There's a whole kind of, a lot of stuff we're not understanding then if we're having this, I'm not sure, I'm not sure thing. Because all of that, I'm not quite sure, is only to say, and this is put it bluntly, I don't believe Jesus can get it done. Everything he said about Calvary, I don't think it's true. It's, I, I don't have enough faith to believe that he can get it done. And so the reason that we talk about that a lot here on Sunday nights about this DBR thing, death, burial, resurrection, is because it's very, very important to the mental health of each and every one of us so that if we ever write a really good song, 24 years later, we don't do something stupid because we don't have enough gospel in our hearts to know that yes, this life is hard, but the Savior has already paid for it all. I trust Him. I trust Him. And this grace and peace comes from God our Father, the Lord Jesus. Mercy and grace. Mercy is pretty much what God practiced before Calvary. They all deserve judgment, but He withheld it. You know why He withheld it? Because he knew his son was coming. We're approaching Christmas. God the Father knew that he was sending his son to be the savior of the world. And so he did not condemn King David and Solomon and all the rest of them. You see what I mean? He withheld judgment that they deserved because of his mercy. But that judgment was poured out on Christ at Calvary. Why? Because Jesus said, I'll take it. It has to be equitable. It has to be righteous. There has to be a payment for sin. I'll do it. And so that's what he did. And as the result of that is the grace that he extends salvation to me, which is something I really don't deserve. He's giving it to us anyway. The blessing. Mercy and grace have come together at Calvary and has been given to us. What's that, what's that do then? Well, by faith, we receive Christ as Savior. I believe he's the only hope, the only Savior. And now I'm in a local church, and the local church is in God. And we're all in Christ. And, and on and on it goes. This is the starting place. Some of y'all probably have greenhouses and start plants in your basement early in the year, whatever. I really appreciate all your effort you put into it every summer. Dale and I just really are thankful that you all put in that kind of work. But the church is the greenhouse for the young ones when they come in, for faith, for believers, for all of us, so that we can continue to grow and to expand. And to the degree that we avoid church and run from church, we're running from what God has ordained for us because the local church in Thessalonica was in God. Yeah, yeah, there's a universal church. I get it. You can be a believer, sit on a rock at the river and praise God all day long. I get that. But that's not the same as rubbing shoulders with people in a given body and being a member and being a part of a community because there's a whole bunch of stuff that happens in the community. Let's see here. Let's uh, we're on to verse three. We're bound to give thanks. That's what we should be doing, brethren. It's a family term. 
Y'all get along like brothers and sisters? Well, should be a clear indication that you're in the right kind of church. Whether you use the words or not, but there should be that commitment to one another. And it's fitting. It has weight. It's a good thing. It's proper to give thanks. Be in a family relationship with people. And look what happens. Your faith begins to grow abundantly, exceedingly. It's in that congregation. It's in that assembly. It's in that gathering place where you can rub shoulders with other sinners, real people. If we're all honest about things and sincere about things, then we can all grow together too and expand our faith. Thankfulness within the group. Thankfulness helps my faith to grow. Oh, look, love for everybody. If the love isn't growing in our hearts, then there might be other things that are wrong. This is what he's saying to this church. Being thankful, doing the fitting things, the right thing with the family. Your faith is growing. And if your faith is growing, you're loving people. And then your love for others is abounding toward them. And you, there's just this growth thing that's going on. So far then, it's like, Love abounds, faith grows, folks are thankful, we're living in grace and peace, we're in the church, we're in Christ, in God. Sounds like a great place, doesn't it? Welcome to the gathering place. Yeah, it's a great place. Verse 4, they're waiting for something to happen. We're out there, we boast among the churches, the other local churches that he's been preaching in, about your patience and faith in persecution and tribulation that you endure. They're exercising patience in a hard time. They're exercising faith in hard times. They're being persecuted and they're enduring. They're persevering. They're hanging in there. What's verse 5 say? Which is a manifest evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you might be counted worthy of the kingdom of God which for which you suffer. Doesn't that kind of sound like if you're not suffering, you're not really a Christian? I mean, that's what people think. They think, well, if I suffer and if I'm really, then I'm holy and I'm sick. I don't think that's what he's talking about at all. I, I don't need evidence in a sense. I mean, I believe Jesus is my Savior, but my life is evidence of the fact that he is a Savior and hopefully in the courtroom of the community, I'm being judged as guilty of being a Christian. And the evidence is the way that I'm living it. And this suffering that we're enduring isn't necessarily to, you know, prove that we're saved. But because we are saved and we are enduring, we could really say, my faith must be genuine because I keep hanging in there. And I've been hanging in there since 1973. So that's like 50 years in January. You know, hanging in there with God. Why? Because Christ is my Savior. And I've been going to church. And hanging out with Christian people. And loving the Lord's people. Well, I got pagan friends, don't get me wrong. I get I, I know a lot of people, but... You know, there's some love, there's a growth, faith, the daily walk. People watch, 
you know, sometimes I might say something stupid out on the street or, you know, anybody here not human? Because I'd like to meet you. <laughs> yeah, so people are watching and there's this evidence yet. And there, the people are saying, man, those people all go to church on Sunday night. This whole town knows that there's a lot of cars here tonight. They know. This church, this very building, the lights, the stained glass, is a testimony, it is evidence to the world outside that there's something going on. You know what it is? You know what they're expecting? Two things, Christ to return and judgment. I think it's in the next verse. Since it is a righteous thing for God to repay with tribulation those who trouble you, seven, and to give you who are troubled rest with us, when the Lord Jesus is revealed, revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, eight, in flaming fire, that don't sound fun, taking vengeance on those who do not know God. They can look up and see the stars and they say, I don't believe it. They can look at the stained glass windows at night and say, I don't believe it. I don't know what them crazy people are doing in there. And there's also those who have heard the gospel that have wandered in and out of the building and we have bumped into them on the street and we have shared verses with them and love with them and done things for them and testified to them. Our lives are evidence to these people that there's judgment coming. And some of them don't like it. But it's still coming because the Lord is coming. They don't obey the gospel. What gospel? The one that we've been telling them about from this building for the last eight years. And this is the sad part about witnessing to people and loving your neighbors and all that. You can share Christ with them or a Bible verse or whatever, and they reject it. Someday when they die and they're standing before Lord God Almighty, they can never say, no one ever told me. This is what's going to happen. And the Lord will say, why didn't you hear the gospel and obey it? What's the gospel? The gospel call is come unto me, all you that you know are weary. I'll save you. Whosoever will may come, obey. Come to me, your creator. Nine, hit the next one. They're all going to be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and the glory of his power. How we live as a church how we live as individuals makes a difference in the lives of those who are watching. Our lives are the evidence to them. And God is doing a great work. Okay, what's the next verse say? We'll get through this. When he comes in that day, that's a Hebrewism for the great tribulation, the day when the Lord comes to judge the wicked for their behavior. At that same time, he's going to be glorified in his saints. And somehow, when the Lord comes and we come with him and all those angels, the people who are being judged are going to say, Oh my land, look at all the people who trusted the Savior. And somehow that's going to bring glory to his name. Do you want to be part of that crowd or this other one? That's what it comes down to, doesn't it? And glorified in his saints and to be admired. The Lord Jesus will be admired by all those who believe. When we see him, we're just going to fall in love with him again and again and again. The Savior. 
And Paul says, our testimony to you was believed. And because the testimony was believed by you, you've entered into the church and into God and into love and faith and the whole thing. It is growing and growing and growing. Number 11. Therefore, we're going to pray some more. Always. That God would count us worthy. That is, our faith would be made genuine to us and those around us. That they would see the evidence and praise God for it and come to know Him. Worthy of the calling. And God has a calling on every one of us. Not necessarily to be a preacher, but just be yourself. Be honest. Be true. And live the life that God has given us. What does He want us to do? Fulfill the goodness of His pleasure. The good pleasure of all of His goodness toward us. How do we do that? It's a work of faith. And that faith has power if we just stand for the truth. If we just realize we're in him and hang in there in that place. All of this stuff in this chapter, which Paul just kind of runs over because he spent three weeks teaching this stuff to him. He just runs over in like 12 verses, but it's pretty powerful stuff. And so you're having a hard week. Yeah, that's true. Maybe have another one next week. How we handle that becomes the testimony to the world around us. Oh yeah, those people in that building, they're all hypocrites. You should see the way they get a little pressure on them outside here. Watch what they say and do, you know, road rage. He's waving kind of funny at me, Mom. (laughs) Is that Christian? No. So, you know, it's, it's all there, but when he comes... We will be with him. You know why that is? Something's got to happen before that, doesn't it? The church is going to be taken out. The church is going to go up to be with the Lord. And then when the Lord returns to deal with these people, it's going to be a rough time for them. That you can read in Revelation 19. What's the last verse say? It's all about the name of the one we believe in. The Lord Jesus may be glorified in us. And us in Him. What kind of relationship do we have with God? In, 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 in. Doesn't take any movement, no effort. And yet, the relationship with God, the in thing, is kind of vertical. That's the faith part. The works part is how we live our lives in community. How do you know? Because... They were in Thessalonica. And it was in Thessalonica, in the community, that's where they lived. That's where the good works were done. That's where the works were spoken of. That's where the love and the faith and all the stuff was spoken of. It was on a horizontal level. So doing good things, all that does is move the testimony around. And that's great because the more the testimony moves around the community, the more vertical some of the pagans get in their faith. They come to Christ and they start to have faith. And they join the community and they add to the work. They add to the work. Here's the last slide. That looks like a Christmas slide, doesn't it? You know why I put that up there? It's the same word. The good pleasure. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace. Grace and peace. 
and good pleasure of his good will toward men. It's the same word. It's the same word. It's been the pattern since the beginning that God would send forth his son to be the savior of the world. Do we believe it? And in believing it, we satisfy his good pleasure and the work of faith. Do we believe it? little benediction thought. It's from the third chapter. We'll get there in a couple of weeks. But. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace always in every way. The Lord be with you all. And Paul signed it. Salutation of Paul with my own hand. Which is a sign of every epistle, so I write. Read that one for me, will you? The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Have a good week.